So did you know that you don't actually have to say every single thought that pops into your head? Did you, did you know that? Because I didn't um, for a very, very long time, probably longer than I would like to admit. I would just say whatever it is that came into my mind. I wouldn't think for a second. I wouldn't stop to consider, is this the right situation for me to say this? Will this be well-received? Will this make me look completely stupid? I just didn't even stop. Even for one second, I just said whatever was on my mind in this moment. And as you can probably figure out, this is a very dangerous game to play. My mother used to lovingly describe this characteristic about me as not having a filter. Has anyone ever said that to you before? You just don't have a filter. It's not necessarily a nice thing to say, not necessarily a term of endearment, and so this is something that I have absolutely gotten better with, but it is still something that I struggle with so, so much. Like, hey, take a second, consider what it is you are about to say, because it's probably not something that you should, in fact, say. I remember that there was this one point in high school um, where I was really being taught this lesson in a hard way, because fun fact, if you just say whatever you want to say, people don't normally like you. Um, yeah, it's a shocker. And so I remember I was at a track meet. Does anyone run track in here? No one? Awesome. That's fine. Okay. I, I ran track and it was, it was fun. Um, so I was at a track meet and I was probably like freshman, maybe early sophomore year. And I remember I was hanging out with a few people that weren't necessarily super close with, but we were kind of acquaintances. And I wanted to look cool, right? I wanted these people to like me. And so in that moment, I lost every skill that I had gained that up to that moment. And I just said the first thing that popped into my head, which in this situation, we were talking about a girl that we all knew because... High school, you talk about people. It's just something that happens. And so I remember we were talking about this girl, and I piped up without even thinking about what I was saying, and I started to talk about the appearance of this girl's boyfriend. And what I was saying about his appearance was not a nice thing. In fact, I was making fun of the way that he looked, making fun of his body type. And I remember... I was kind of like the room or wherever we were went quiet for a second. And all of a sudden, this guy who was in the conversation with us was like, yeah, that's my brother. And he's been insecure about that his entire life. Oh my gosh, you guys, in that moment, I wanted to die. I was so embarrassed and I felt so terrible. Have you ever just wanted to be like, do over, do over, do over, can I just suck the words back into my mouth? Oh my goodness. And it wasn't an appropriate thing to say in the first place. It was a terrible thing to say, but I said it in front of the guy's Brother, oh my gosh, at this moment in my life, I came face to face like a freight train with this terrible habit that I had gotten into where I would not think before I spoke. I realized very quickly that I had the easy capability of ruining relationships, of hurting people with my mouth. And this wasn't a cute or a funny or an endearing quality about me. It wasn't cute that I didn't have a filter. It wasn't a cute little cork that I had this need inside of me to fill the room with my voice at every single second. See, I was allowing my mouth, my voice to be weaponized by the enemy to hurt those around me. 
And the truth is, is that I wasn't filtering out that junk. I wasn't filtering out the things that I shouldn't be saying. And I was using my mouth for evil rather than for uplifting and encouraging people. And so tonight, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how sometimes we can use our voices, use our mouths for good and sometimes for evil. And it says in James 1.9b, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. At this point in my life, I couldn't check off one of those things off the list. I was definitely not quick to listen. Instead, I was very, very quick to speak, and I was certainly not slow to become angry. Couldn't check off one of those things. And now, standing here before you today, I still struggle with these things. This is still something that I'm trying to figure out. I feel like I've gotten better, but I still get these things backwards a lot of the time. Now, there are two things that we use our voices for on a regular basis where we aren't using those voices for good, where we aren't necessarily being slow to speak or slow to become angry. And it talks about these two things many times throughout the Bible, but these two things are complaining and arguing. Complaining and arguing. Oh, man. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, when I read this verse, I have an inner crisis inside. Like, really? Do everything without complaining and arguing? Like, come on, can't we just give up one but keep the other? Are you serious? The writer of this verse really expects us to do everything without complaining or arguing, that is something I want to complain and argue with, okay? Now, the author of this verse of Philippians 2.14, his name is Paul. Now, Paul's a pretty cool guy, so you might want to give him a chance to kind of explain what he's saying here. And so Paul, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's a big lover of Jesus, as are we. And so he is the one saying, don't do stuff anything with complaining or arguing. Not just the easy stuff, not just the stuff that you like doing, but everything without those two things. But sometimes complaining is fun and arguing, it's just necessary, right? We love to complain. It feels good. I like to do it. I like to complain. And man, do I like to argue. Oh, I like to argue. Did you ever think about that, Paul? Did you ever take a second? But here's the truth about Paul. If there was one person in the Bible who had the right to complain or argue, it was Paul. He had a very, very hard life. And here he is standing before us, say, don't do either of these things. Now, the entire book of Philippians was written by Paul as a letter to the people of Philippi, to the church of Philippi. So when we're reading these verses today from Philippians, remember, it is to these people. And so we need to realize that these scriptures that we're pulling from tonight, there's so much more than just do's and don'ts and these unrealistic expectations that he is putting upon us. But instead, these are letters that he is writing to people that he loves so, so much. See, the entire church church of the Phil of Philippi had based their entire beliefs on Jesus because of Paul. And they relied heavily upon his teachings to guide them in their faith. And so when Paul wrote this verse, we need to realize that he wasn't writing it from this beautiful church of Philippi. He wasn't writing it from this beautiful mountaintop or even from the heavens above. When Paul wrote this verse, do not complain or argue, he wrote it from the inside of a prison cell.
He had been arrested for his beliefs in Jesus, and he was in the most horrific and awful living conditions known to man. You think jail sucks now? Try being in jail in the first century, okay? It's not a good time. So if anyone in the history of ever had a right to complain, it should have been Paul. But instead of those things, he writes Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. See, Paul had learned this lesson that his words and his actions carried weight. His words and his actions led people to Jesus, formed churches. So he knew that complaining rarely improved anyone's circumstances. I want you to think right now of a few times in your life where maybe complaining actually got you somewhere. Maybe it actually helped and made the situation better. Maybe there's a few handful of times where you are a Karen and you spoke to the manager or your teacher or you complained to your mom and you got out of doing something. Okay, so maybe complaining has helped a handful of times, probably 2% out of the 100%, right? Very rarely does complaining do anything about our circumstances. What it does is it just makes us harp on the fact that everything is negative, right? It turns everything instantly to negativity and it makes us realize how out of control situations really are. Now, here's a good rule of thumb when it comes to complaining because sometimes it does work out. Sometimes it is valid to complain about something. So here's a rule of thumb to always go to. Never complain about a situation to a person who is powerless to change it. Never complain about a situation to a person who is powerless to change it. Because in those moments, you aren't trying to fix it. You aren't trying to make it better. You're simply just talking to someone who can't control it, who can't make it any better for you. And as we do that, that complaining begins to spiral out of control. Even if we're just making a statement of fact, the weather sucks today. It's complaining and it will shift our focus instantly from the positive to the negative and negativity will slow our progress. After all, how can we move forward when you're still mad and annoyed about something that happened in the past? We can't change what's happened. We can't change others. And many times we cannot change the circumstance that is hard, but what we can change is our attitude. And Paul couldn't change his circumstances. He could not make himself get out of jail, but he could change the way that he looked at his circumstances. It says in Philippians 1.12, now I want you to know, and again, this is Paul talking to the church of Philippi. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, which is being in jail, has actually served to advance the gospel. What? Paul isn't complaining to the people about Philippi about his conditions. He's not asking for prayer or pity. He is literally saying, I am rejoicing because this has allowed me to advance the gospel. He's saying, you guys, this is great that I'm in jail. This is great that I'm being treated this way because I have a captive audience. I literally have a jailer that is there 24-7 making sure that I can't escape, and he is forced to listen to me. And I have people in this prison cell who cannot get away from me. I have a captive audience. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. I can teach them about Jesus. Not once in the entire book of Philippians does Paul complain about 
or even describe his prison conditions. Not once. He doesn't ask for prayer. He doesn't ask for pity. He doesn't talk about what he's experiencing. Instead, he uses the words joy or rejoice 16 times throughout the book of Philippians. In four chapters, he rejoices 16 times from a prison cell. The antidote to complaining is rejoicing, is choosing to look at the positive rather than the the negative. And if Paul can look for something to rejoice about in a hard place, so can I. It says in Philippians 2, 14 through 15, so this is the rest of the verse, do everything without complaining or arguing, then you will be pure and without blame. You will be children of God without fault among sinful and evil people. Then you will shine like stars in the sky. You'll shine like stars in the sky. Sometimes we just need to shut up and shine. That's what the title of this message is tonight, is sometimes we just need to stop for a second and think about what the words that we're saying. Is this rejoicing? Is this looking at the positive? Or am I looking at the negative? What can I do about my words, about my thinking, to make sure that I'm shining among them like stars in the sky? When we hold our tongue, when we choose to focus on the good, to rejoice, we can shine just like Paul. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jail, she talked about the power of the tongue, the power of our mouths, and the way that it has weight and an impact in the world and what we say. And so this is kind of a continuation off of that sermon. But she talked about, in that sermon, she said, in Proverbs 18.21, she used a scripture that says, your tongue has the power of life and death. This is such a powerful scripture. And then it goes on to say, those who love to talk will eat the fruit of their words. Does anyone love to talk in here? Yeah, I love to talk. I love the sound of my own voice, okay? I will talk and talk and talk until I am blue in the face. So this verse is saying, those who love to talk will eat the fruit of their words. Now, maybe you're not an extroverted person. Maybe you don't talk a lot in front of people or anyone for that matter. But do your thumbs talk? Do you put things on social media? Do you text a lot? Your thumbs are still your words. This verse might as well say, your thumbs have the power of life and death. So it's not just what you're saying audibly, it's what you're writing down. It's what you're typing, it's what you're texting as well. These words, they carry weight. And this verse is warning us, you will eat the fruit of our words. That means that whatever we say, whether it's joyful and uplifting or negative and cruel, complaining, arguing, rejoicing, we will end up eating it. Those words don't just affect the people around us, but ourselves as well. And depending on what those words are, they can have very positive and negative consequences. And so I've got a friend up here who's going to help us teach this point. Everybody say hi, Nick. Hello, everybody. It's not a good sermon if we don't get to torture Nick a little bit, right? I think it could have been fine. I think, yeah, well. Okay, so here's what we got in here. 
We got some good fruits. So what we're saying in this verse that we just talked about is that when we say positive things, good things, we are eating those fruits. And so do you like blueberries? Love blueberries. You love blueberries. We like some strawberries, some bananas. And in here, Hope caught you up some very special watermelon. She heard that was your favorite. Okay. And so when we are saying positive and good and uplifting and rejoicing things, we then get to eat those fruits. So if you say, wow. I loved the weather today. It was gorgeous outside. You can go ahead and put some good fruit in there, right? That's positive, that's uplifting. And maybe you can say, oh my goodness, her outfit was so cute today and I'm not even jealous about it, okay? She looked cute. That's positive and uplifting. Nick, you said that a bunch of times today, didn't you, right? Yeah. And then when you say, okay, mom, I will totally unload the dishwasher because you're awesome, that's positive and that's uplifting. And when you say, okay, little brother, you can have the remote for five minutes. I will give that to you. And when you say, oh my goodness, I love wearing this mask. It just makes me feel so amazing. That is positive and that is uplifting. And so now we're making this beautiful, yummy smoothie. And now we can blend that up a little bit, okay? Okay. Yeah, maybe put some water in there though. Do you know anything about making smoothies? I actually don't. Yeah, you have to have some kind of base in there. There you go. Is that enough? Um, no. Okay. Okay, 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 that's probably enough. Okay. But now, so you just, you have to drink this smoothie. That's yeah, not bad, right? This is great. Go ahead and blend her up. Hold, please. Uh, here we go. Okay. A little, that's a little chunky, but that'll, that'll do, that'll do. Okay, so go ahead and take a drink of that. That doesn't look very appetizing, but it's gonna taste good, right? You got watermelon, you got bananas. Yeah, it smells really good. So when you say positive things, it's like drinking this amazing smoothie. Those are the fruits of the words that we are saying. Those are the things that we get to enjoy from our words. Now, there's also bad fruit um, that we can say on a regular basis. We got some lemons. We got some limes, tomatoes. Did you know tomatoes are a fruit? I was actually just about to ask. And there's more watermelon, except it's just the rind. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. There's good, yummy, good, positive fruits, right? And then there's negative things. Some things where we're not being uplifting and we're not rejoicing. Instead, we are using our words to be very, very negative Nancys. And so we say things like, My teacher is such a hag. I want to punch her in the face every time she opens up her mouth. That's like putting a lemon into your once very, very yummy smoothie. Now we're polluting it with that negative, nasty talk. And let's say that when you go home and your mom asks you to unload the dishwasher, you're like, yeah, right, as if I don't do chores. And you're like, no, that's negative. Okay, you want to put that tomato in there? I don't. Tomato, yummy. Let's, let's, like. Ew. Ah, that's all over me. That's okay, little guy. Okay, so you got that going. You got that negative talk. And then let's say that you do have to go to the grocery store and they make you wear a mask. And you hate masks because they give you mask knee, okay? So then you're, it's like more negative talk. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. That's stupid. And then you go to practice and your coaches like run five miles and you're like, this is the worst day. Don't just put one in there. Can I put two? You can put seven. Seven? Yes. Exactly. Three, four, five, six. Not that little one. Pick up the bigger one. Seven. Okay. Put those in there. So now, is this wonderful, beautiful smoothie that we had going to taste so good anymore? 
Probably not. You got a full lemon in there, a full lime in there, a full tomato. I was going to cut those up, but I didn't. All right, now let's start her up. Let's start her up. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, now go ahead and give her a whirl. You want to try that? I don't want to do this. I don't care. Go ahead. Go for it. It's so... It's crunchy. Yeah, it's crunchy. It is. It's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> did that taste good? No. No? Did you enjoy that? No. What does it taste like? Nothing good. Okay. Maybe. Okay. So what we had there was a beautiful, yummy smoothie that tasted good. We were eating the fruits of those positive words. But then the second that we started complaining, we started arguing, we started saying negative things, we started to pollute our beautiful smoothie. We started to put nasty things inside of it. So really, it doesn't matter how many good things you say. The second that you slip into that negativity, into that bad stuff, you start polluting. You start having to eat those fruits as well. And that is why we say it matters what you say. It doesn't just impact the people around you. It impacts yourself too, right, Nicholas? Absolutely. And he would not recommend that experience whatsoever. All right, let's give him a round of applause. He tortures himself for Jesus. He's very, very good. So we have to be careful. We have to make sure that the words that we are saying are producing good fruit rather than bad because it will inevitably come back to hurt us. Now, this doesn't just go for complaining. Remember the second part of that verse was the one we haven't talked about as much, arguing. Thank you, Sam. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing as well, because complaining keeps me stuck in my circumstances, and arguing keeps me from experiencing true connection. Now, I'm not a great person at not complaining. I do complain quite a bit, but man, I don't want to talk about arguing. I like to argue a lot. I really, really do. It is one of my best pastimes. I've never met an argument that I haven't wanted to win. And so just please know, this hurts me just as much as it hurts you to come out here and talk about this, but I had to do what the Lord told me to do. And so I have to ask you, do you guys find beautiful satisfaction in having the last word in an argument? That's like one of my favorite things. Even when I'm talking to my docs, I have to have the last word, right? It's so important to me. It is so vital that I end a conversation or an argument with my last words just ringing in the air. That sensation is one of my favorite things, especially when it comes to certain people and certain topics. I want to argue. I will draw blood. I will do whatever I can to make sure that I win that argument and I have the last word, especially between my sister and I. I don't know what it is about siblings, sisters specifically, but come on, okay? We go rounds about the tiniest little insignificant detail. We will fight each other until the death. It is ridiculous. It is so, 
so depressing to watch our conversations because it's like, oh, how was your day? Tank, as soon as we start talking, we just start arguing immediately. But what I had to learn the hard way though is even when I did win the arguments, even when I did get to have the last word, it cost so much more than I was realizing. Because every time I had that combative argument, I realized that I was ruining my relationship with my sister for such a small reward. I was compromising our relationship. If my goal is to win in our conversation, I have already lost. And my dad knew this about me. We're kind of similar people, and so he knew that I love to be in arguments and that I love to win those arguments. And so he said something to me that is so profound now, many years later, and if you tell him that it was profound, I will be angry at you. But what he said to me, I still remember, and he said this to me all the time. He said, Madeline, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And I think about it for a second, I'd be like, I want to be right. Yeah, that's what I want. I want to be right. But now as I've grown older, you guys, I found the first gray hair in my head not too long ago. I'm not joking. It's very scary. But as I've grown older and wiser, I realize I do want to be happy. I don't have to be right all of the time. I can be most of the time or even half of the time. It doesn't matter if I can just be happy. And another thing that my wise old man used to tell me and still tells me today is he says, hey, Madeline, can you actually listen to what I'm saying right now instead of just thinking about what you're going to say next? Yeah, mm-hmm, sure, Father, yes, I will do that. He knows me so well. He can see the gears in my mind turning as he's trying to have a conversation with me. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm thinking about everything that I can do to get through this conversation with a win on my belt. But I needed to learn that a conversation should be about seeking to understand, not airing my own opinions. And the second that it turns into just saying what you want to say in an effort to win, it becomes two people screaming at each other with nobody winning and nobody listening at that point. The second that you begin to go on the offensive in a conversation, that person is immediately going to go into defense mode and they're not going to hear another word that you say. It doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter if you have all of the facts. They are not going to listen to you. No matter how convincing you are, no matter how loud you yell, the second that they feel that you are attacking them, they are not going to listen. We have to be careful about what is coming out of our mouths when we are arguing, when we are in conversations, because we have the ability to very easily lose relationships in our lives. Colossians 4, 6 says, let the words that you speak always be full of grace. Learn how to make your words what people want to hear. Then you will know how to answer everybody. Now, I know what you're thinking. Learn how to make your words what people want to hear. Am I telling you then to be a sugar coater, a people pleaser that just says what you want, that you feel like the other person wants to say, never really stand up for anything? No, that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying, let the words you speak be full of grace first. 
Let them be full of grace because the second that you lose that grace, you are going to lose that person in that conversation. That is how you know how to answer to everybody is when you are filled with grace in your conversation. This is how we can produce those positive fruits with our words rather than the negative. We should care more about the person than making our point. We should care more about protecting our own joy and our own sanctity than letting it be stolen by silly argument that really doesn't matter. And Paul knew this as well in all of his wisdom. He wrote in Philippians 1, 17 through 18, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or truth, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. But what does it matter? Say this to yourself a billion times a day when you are in these conversations, but what does it matter? Does it matter that you win the conversation? Does it matter that you get to have the last word if you end up ruining that relationship? Does it matter if they ever end up agreeing with you? No, it doesn't. Paul says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the motives of the people are, no matter what, even what I'm facing, even when these people are hypocrites, even when they're turning against me, even when I am locked up in this prison cell, it doesn't matter. I'm going to focus on the good and the positive, and I am going to rejoice. It doesn't matter. He doesn't allow himself, no matter what the conversation, no matter the situation, to stoop into complaining or petty arguments. Instead, he chooses to rejoice. And I wonder if we can have the humility to do what Paul does, to just let it go, to care more about that person than being right, to call ourselves back to joy instead of getting stuck in that drama and that cycle of negativity. This is something that I struggle with, and I have to say it. What does it matter? And I know that right now this is a very messed up world to be in. What you guys are experiencing, what you guys are facing is scary. And as Christians right now, our beliefs are called into question on a regular basis. And I believe that we should absolutely defend them, that we should absolutely stand up for them without compromising. Not enough people are doing that these days. But we have to do it in the right way, without yelling or complaining or arguing, but instead setting an example through joy. People don't wanna follow drama. They don't want to follow negativity. They want to follow the joy. We have to set an example with the way that we act, the choices that we make, not just the words that we speak, not the screaming matches that we get into, whether online or in person when people disagree with us. These things will never lead people to Jesus. They will just push them farther and farther away. We have to lead by example. And we do this by doing the two things that God asks us to do over and over and over again in the Bible. And that is to love God and to love people. If you are doing those two things, you are standing up for your beliefs, you are showing what it is to be a true Christ follower, and you are setting 
and example. The world doesn't need another opinion, but instead another example. Love God. Love people. Authentically love. Love them more than winning. Love them more than making the point. Love them more than getting the last word. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. This is how we lead people to Jesus. This is how we stand up for what we believe in, is with love. Daniel 12.3 says, Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Sometimes we just need to be still. Sometimes we just need to shut up. And we need to let our actions speak louder than our words. We need to let the light of Jesus shine through us. This verse says that we will shine like stars forever in our wisdom and in our righteousness. These are the things that we are called to do. And this is what we must do to set good examples, God-like examples. We have to control our mouths. We have to say no to complaining and arguing. And we have to choose instead to rejoice. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so, so much for everything that you have done for us today. I just ask that these truths will just sink deep into our hearts and that as we are going through these next few weeks, that you will just remind us to choose your joy over the complaining or the arguing. And when there's people that are trying to pull us back down into that, Jesus, that you will just give us the strength to remember that our words do matter. Help us to be the example, the light that you have called us to be. Help us, uh, help us to shine bright no matter what the circumstances. We love you so much, and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.